Hello, dear listener, and thank you for uh, checking out Something Rotten. Uh, we talk about pretty uh, awful games in this show generally, and I put content warnings in the description for most episodes, um, but I do want to just do one um, in front of this whole season because, uh, boy, there are some wretched topics that we go into in the show, uh, including, but not limited to, uh, extended discussions of sexual abuse and suicide. So if, um, if either of those things are things that you don't want to consider for any reason, uh, here's just a heads up. It's going to be pretty hard to avoid. And welcome to the Something Rotten Podcast. My name is Jacob Geller, and this is our second episode on that place that I see in my restless dreams, Silent Hill 2. On this episode, we will be playing through uh, the boss fight with Eddie in a meat locker. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Blake Hester, who I might describe as being cucked by not being able to play this game. Jacob, I... Don't know if we can say cuck on this podcast, uh, but it is the, you know what? We used to not have many guests, which I would say having guests has been a brilliant decision. It brings us to new audiences. I love hearing new perspectives other than mine and your own crusty old ones, but it does mean we can't change our schedule much. And so in the past, when we loved a game, it's like, oh, we'll just move the recording up so we don't have to stop playing. And with Silent Hill 2, it's been the only thing scarier in this fucking game is how long I've had to wait to finish the damn thing. The horrors of time, Blake. The horrors of patience. Uh, well, I have played this game before, and I have also found it incredibly hard to just wait and not mm. play more. Uh, and James is waiting, too. Like, while I'm not playing, he's yeah. just waiting to find his wife. I don't think you've... You haven't finished Silent Hill 2 yet, actually. She's not alive. That's the whole thing. What are you talking about, Blake? You don't You don't know this game. She's, like, <laughs> she's like the most alive any character has ever been. Uh, anyway... I am so happy to introduce our guest for this episode, a man I hold in very high regard, despite the fact that he's also a YouTuber. Uh, joining us to talk about the second Silent Hill game is John, a.k.a. Super Eyepatch Wolf. Jacob Blake, it's a pr pleasure to be here, here to confirm that Silent Hill 2 is in fact the second game in the series. Very excited to talk <laughs> about it. Is that, hold on. Wasn't there like a, a visual novel after one that would make God damn it. I knew it. I knew the second I said that joke that someone was going to bring up the fucking Look, visual sorry, novel. I'm a, I'm a bit of a historian, you know? Got a fact yeah, check. That's fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I can see I'm on the right podcast. <laughs> John, you made a video about Silent Hill 2 uh, called Why You Should Play Silent Hill 2 that was published six years ago so long that at the beginning of the video you say like uh now i know this isn't what i normally talk about it's not anime or anything but listen to me anyway because this game is really good oh my uh, and god it's just very yep. funny to think of a time when your channel was in a specific enough place that you had to make a disclaimer to talk about a video game yeah wow that is a real blast from the past i've actually been thinking about that a lot lately um Right now, I'm working on a video about, uh, it's called The Simpsons is Good Again, 
and it's about the Simpsons being kind of decent again. But what the video is kind of really about is about like your memories and how they distort things and how you you can never really compete with your memories. You can never live the way things used to be. And there is actually a really random section about Silent Hill 2 in the video. So it's all it's all coming full circle, I uh, tell you. Jacob, do you mind if I capitalize on a moment that I don't get often in my life now that our guest John is here? Yeah. Huh? John, have you seen the film Gonzo? I love Gonzo. Okay, no one else has seen this movie. Do you agree it might oh. be one of the best CG animated <laughs> films of all time? Unironically, a fucking brilliant movie. I love It's incredible. Yeah, it's actually like I I love that arc in the manga. Like it's Gan, like Gans's Gans is the kind of recommendation that comes with like 80 uh warning labels and it's problematic and shitty in a bunch of ways. It's also a lot of fun. And that movie like perfectly distills how insane that arc is it just it squashes down like 200 chapters or i don't know like 100 chapters into just this beautiful like hour and a half two hour film and if you don't know anything about gantz i think you will enjoy the film more than if you do it doesn't it it also squashes down that one monster remember the invisible oh boy does it and crushes him jacob you've got to see this i'm not kidding it's some of the best cg animation i've literally ever seen in my life it's it's ridiculous it's it's so stupid good i've heard about it um but i i haven't uh i i i've like i've seen clips of it i i think from blake you just posting them in the boys chat or something but like uh, I, I, look, I'll put it on my list. I believe, I think there's two directors, and one of them is the cutscene director for Resident Evil 2. Fun fact. The, the remake, not the original. Mm, that's so, cool. Interesting. a little fun fact for you. I, Blake, I'm so glad that you could get mm. that out, mm, uh, knowing, <laughs> knowing our guest. Um, uh, John, when was, what was your, like, beginning interactions with Silent Hill? Did you, did you have it as, uh, a child, as Blake has told the story before on this pod, starting to play Silent Hill 3 and then being so scared that uh, he could not finish it? Or did you come to it as like a, you know, a teen or an adult? So I came to it as like a very, very early teen through a demo disc for Silent Hill 1 on the PlayStation 1. Uh, A friend had it. And I remember like, we were like so young that we couldn't really figure out what we were meant to be doing. But just the concept of like, you're walking around a school shooting children-sized things was like even back then it was like what what is going on here like this isn't this isn't right um and then it was like i'd say much later into my teenage years before i like rented out silent hill 2 and i rented it for a weekend and it really like stuck with me in a weird way where like i rented it i think i got to like maybe the start of the hospital or something like that. And it just, it really kind of jammed its way into my brain and eventually I went back and played it. Then I got completely obsessed with the soundtrack. Um, Like Silent Hill 2 is I think my number four favorite game of all time. I think the album to Silent Hill 2 <laughs> might be my favorite musical album ever. Wow. Um, wow. I have definitely listened to it more than any other album in my entire life which is kind of insane but i think it's, it's just really it is so eerie and beautiful and i i really love it even um even among Yam- yamaoka's other work i think it's just this fucking towering achievement it's it's so great 
Um, and yeah, so like slowly from there, pretty much expanded outwards, played all the other Silent Hills. I remember actually, sorry, I missed a bit there, where a friend of mine lent me Silent Hill 1 in secondary school. And I was genuinely afraid that I wasn't going to be able to finish it and that I was going to have to bring it back to him and be I, and be like, I am a little pissy baby and I can't complete this. <laughs> I had that same fear playing Silent Hill 2 for this podcast. <laughs> as, as a 29-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any uh, favorite individual tracks off the soundtrack? So one actually that we're going to be talking about a scene a little later um, where it's the scene where James doesn't... It's not the scene where he first encounters Laura. It's the scene where he first, like, properly talks to her and she tricks him into the boss fight. And mm-hmm. I believe it's called uh, The Day of Night. To me, it's, like, there's... It's the most Silent Hill 2 track. Like, I might prefer, like, Theme of Laura or Reprise or something like that. But The Day of Night is just... It is that game. Like, it's eerie, and it's kind of calm, but it's kind of sad, but there's, like, an ominous feeling to it, and it's disconnected. Oh, it's it's so good. Um, really, I really love it. Before we dive in, um, did you guys see those online ceramics Silent Hill 2? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you want to describe them to uh, to the viewer or listener who maybe hasn't seen them? Uh, they are like if you took a um, 90s, a late 90s GeoCities website and shot them onto a hoodie <laughs> yeah. for Sil- a, a GeoCities fan site and shot them onto a hoodie. That's what it looks like. And I mean this with 100% sincerity. Um, not buying one of those is the biggest regret of my life. <laughs> Is it is it specifically the one that says uh like all you care about is that dead wife of yours online ceramics It's everyone Yeah, so like the online ceramics logo is burnt like and when I say logo I mean a web URL is burnt in below the image <laughs> and it is it's so awful that it's fucking amazing. And yeah. I I genuinely I want one so bad. I was actually walking through Dublin recently and I, I noticed a guy was wearing one of them and I was looking at him and I was like, he's not that big. It's late at night. <laughs> I could just take it. But then then he was actually a fan and we stopped and had a little conversation. And at that point, I thought it would be unbecouth <laughs> to rob him. I was going to say the chances of you running into someone in Dublin who is wearing one of those shirts and was not familiar with your work seem like almost zero at this That's point. the frustrating part about that anecdote. I know I say it and it sounds like I'm just making something up. It genuinely happens and I have yeah. no proof. Except his photo, which I didn't get. That happens. I I live near a university, and there are sometimes it's like it, it, there will just be like a group of boys walking past, and I'm like, I think I think if I really walk like <laughs> face first into that group, like someone would be like, hey, it's that guy. Some sometimes I I I know exactly that feeling where you're coming the other way, and you're like, oh, there's a high probability this person knows who I am. Um, it's just like I've seen my demographic graph on YouTube. Like I know who's watching yeah. me. <laughs> um, I did an escape room before, and uh, at the end of the escape room, the guy on the like voice was like, "I'm sorry, are you, are you super eye patch wolf." And I was like, "Yes." And he goes, "Oh, I, I, I liked your video on Akira." <laughs> These are uh, problems I truly cannot relate yeah. to. Until we start posting the video version of this podcast, Blake. Actually, you know what? Uh, Leo and me, Leo Vader and I went to see Bo is Afraid, and the guy recognized Leo, and then he looked at me and was like, 
you're the guy Leo killed in that video. And I was like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I was recognized exactly one time. There you go. Now, now, now you know too. Your moment of fame. <laughs> yeah, and I, I said, please, no pictures. This is so embarrassing. Can I ran away? Um, so last we left off in Silent Hill 2, um, we uh, had gone into a spooky apartment, dropped some stuff down a garbage chute, came out of it, uh, went into a spooky hospital, killed a boss uh, named Flesh Lips, a uh, beautiful and chill name for a boss. Um, and then uh, we stopped right as James kind of woke up in this, like, fucked up alt-world hospital where it was kind of seemed like the same space, uh, but it was real spooky. Everything was rusted over, and you were specifically in an area full of, like, uh, kind of padded cells. Uh, you know, bad vibes all around. You get that weird, like, no-clip cutscene at the very start of this sequence which is yeah. so bizarre it's like it's just the camera moving down through an elevator shaft but not looking down it's it's so weird and you hear uh you hear mary's oh, voice it's so in, which uncomfortable yeah yep. uh, and then i think kind of the first the first note that i have uh in this section is you step into an elevator and there's an incredibly long game show like not not only is it a game show but it's like the elevator ride takes like four and a half minutes because there is someone just reading questions yeah it's they they really they just want you to cook in the that this bit is so disparate from the rest of the game besides the joke ending if i haven't played silent hill 2 for a while i always start assuming this is from silent hill 3 because mm. i think it fits part of the tone of that game better um you know what i started thinking about this this time experiencing this game show is um one of the best things about uh pt which was, of course, going to be Silent Hills or like a teaser for Silent Hills or whatever, is the incredibly specifically strange way the like radio announcement is delivered in that game. Because in PT, you like you're walking down one hallway and there's a radio and it's recounting like a man who killed his his wife and children. And there are just like turns of phrase in that that are so unsettling where the radio is like uh you know the child hid under the bed and tried to call 911 uh but the father lured her out or whatever and it's just like why did they say 911 why did they not say 911 it is so just like it's wrong in a very specific mm. way and this game show was kind of reminding me of it of just like it's not really broad comedy like even even though it's like it's unusual and it's very strange it is still like beautifully specific in the way that this game is so specific in how it's like creating it's uh, kind of uh un unbound totally. when i first played this game i think this moment was kind of a a weird breakthrough in at least what i felt like the game was meant to be because when i played this first i felt like oh the game's laughing at me like i am being made fun of for playing this nearly and it creates this like to me it felt nearly kind of hostile it feels like that bit in i don't want to talk too much about three if, if you haven't played three blake right I, have not. I, I won't i won't spoil it but there's a bit in three where the game design very specifically points you towards a thing and then really fucks you for for going near it and it feels so antagonistic towards the player i feel like this sequence is kind of like that because it's so long and you just have to sit there and it's so not nonsensical but like just go kind of gibberishy in a way do you know what i mean i i've been thinking about this moment a lot especially as i kind of was wrapping my mind around like the historical 
society that we get to later in the section in the prison. And I think like once you enter, I don't know what you would call it, the hell world, which is shortly before this game show plays, is kind of the moment the world of Silent Hill 2 breaks in a way. Um, the hospital, I think, still makes a lot of sense architecturally, but we will get to the prison where nothing makes sense and you end in this labyrinth. And I think, like, this is one of the big signifiers to me of, like, oh, the few parts of Silent Hill that made sense are no longer going to be there anymore. And the rug has kind of been pulled. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's a great moment. It's also uh, knowing the answers to these are, like, really hard uh because it's like the all of the information is from like hours ago in the game and you don't even get to answer the questions while you're in the elevator you have to like remember the multiple choices and then go up to a box later and it's like there's nothing vital you don't need to know the answers of them but it is just like i can't imagine many people were able to correctly do it on their first playthrough. Um, I did, because I'm a genius. But uh, what is the punishment for getting it wrong? I would assume the box just doesn't open, but I don't actually know. Well, it says something painful is going to happen. I don't know. It sticks you. There is there is some... I haven't played through this sequence in a while, but there is some point where there's some kind of gas spray or something like that. I might be completely misremembering, but mm. it might be something to do with that. It's interesting... Um, sometimes with, like, old PS2 game design, there is just these sections that feel nearly designed for either repeat playthroughs or a guide. And I always think that's kind of interesting because you don't really get that anymore. Uh, It's like Final Fantasy XII has treasure chests, which if you open them in the first, like, dungeon, they despawn treasure chests from, like, 80 hours later in the game. And it's just... You don't know that unless you have it's. It's fucking weird. PlayStation Two is a weird time. I mean the 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 specific things that you have to do to get the like joke endings or even some of the legitimate mm. ones are just so obtuse that it's like how could anyone possibly figure this out by just playing the game? It's always it's it's an interesting one as well. Like you bring up the multiple endings there, like pouring that much resources into things that are nearly designed not to be seen different a, a different mentality you know that era Blake, do you want to know what i think is wild jacob i bet it's the fact that butterflies can taste with their the bottom of their feet okay well now <laughs> this is completely derailed the ad because i do need to know about that but no what i think is wild is we've been doing this podcast long enough that people have probably listened to us talk for like multiple full days yeah people are dumb what do you want what do you want me to say Okay, no, but but that's not what's crazy. What I meant is that some people have listened to us talk for hours on end, and they're still not signed up for Nebula. Wait, you're right. That's full-on bonkers. I mean, do they not know how much better the show is on Nebula? That it's not interrupted by ads? That some of our best episodes are exclusive there? I mean, we're going to do a full-on commentary on the Mark Wahlberg Max Payne movie, and they'll only be able to hear it on Nebula. Hold on, we are? That, yeah, I haven't told you this yet. Oh my god, that sounds like a nightmare. Well, this, I'm getting mad about that, but I'm also getting mad about how many people have not gone to nebula.tv slash something rotten, especially since we give them a huge discount for signing up with that freaking link. Like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Disappointed mm. that they've been missing out on so much of our delicious thoughts and beautiful content. You lost me again, shut up. Nebula.tv slash something rotten. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, remind me, how does... This is the part of the game where Maria just starts popping up and going away in, like, completely inexplicable ways. Um, so the the last time we saw her, she just, like, went to sleep. She was uh, in the hospital, right, and was just like, I need to take a nap. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go away. Um, how does she reappear here? She shows up in the basement's basement and screams at you for thinking she's mary oh that's right okay because that happens after the flesh lips yeah she she's anyway um okay there's there's a part here that i really like where you have to open a fridge and james can't do it alone and maria shows up and like completely emasculates james for not being able to open the fridge uh which is both funny and like i think thematically appropriate that that there is this kind of sense of like building resentment uh between james and maria um and then you're leaving the cursed hospital, uh, and Pyramid Head just fucking shows up in uh, one of the scariest bits of the game, I think. He does this several times in the game, including in one spot where I think you can totally miss him. And I love that there's like often no pageantry around his appearance. He's just there all of a sudden. One of the first times that I encountered like a no cutscene Pyramid Head, I think it was the one of the biggest frights I've ever gotten in a game. Because, like, at that point, you're so conditioned to, like, this ceremony around Pyramid Head whenever he shows up. And the fact that you turn a corner and he's just there, like, I it, it, it completely, like, took the breath away from me. Like, oh. Yeah. Ew. Same in same for me in the Labyrinth because I had to replay a section. I had to restart. And the first time I went through it, I didn't see him at all. And the second time I went down there, he showed up. And it, like, I did. I almost threw my controller. <laughs> um it's so yeah because this like this section in the hospital is like you're walking down these very narrow corridors and it's like you're james and maria is following and you kind of turn one corner and it's like james maria and you turn another corner and it's like james maria pyramid yeah and it's like it would almost be comical if it wasn't so mm. scary that it's just like he turns up behind you like a scooby-doo villain um and you have to run away uh i think in hard it's actually like in on playing on normal. I had no difficulty. I think he can actually kill Maria in the sequence, oh, wow. and then you like fail. Well, kill her before uh, you get to the end. Um, but on normal, you run away. Uh, you get to an elevator, and then Maria dies. She just gets fucking killed by Pyramid Head, uh, and it's and then James kind of collapses on the floor of the elevator and like holds its head, uh, and they do. I mean, it's kind of the most emotional we see, James, right? I think there's such a great shot of the elevator door opening, and he is, like, still just in that spot and just kind of sits there for a while. They linger on him. Mm -hmm. Like, you are you are soaking up that grief in that scene. And I think it really, it works so well. Because, like, there's not even, like, a real fade out or anything. It's just, no, you're just going to sit and watch him be devastated. Yeah, it's great. They do they do uh, the good, sad piano music, of which Silent Hill 2 has a lot. When I, actually, I was going to say this earlier when uh, when you were talking about how much you like the soundtrack. I started taking piano lessons, like, a year and a half ago. And, like, the second song that I was like, I'm going to learn this song was, of course, Promise. Uh, me me too. I, I, I learned every... <laughs> the Undertale theme and then Promise. <laughs> like... I think that's just any any gamer who starts playing piano they've got like okay this is my list this is what i'm gonna play promise is a good one because if people don't know video games you can just play it and they'll think you're really deep <laughs> yeah that's it um and then if you if you do play it they, they think you killed your wife <laughs> uh so that so 
James is sad. Uh, Maria's dead, question mark. Um, and, and then we get kind of booted back out to Silent Hill, the town. And it is even darker and even uh, more difficult to, like, see what's going on here. Um, and there's... Uh, there are these very weird, some of the strangest enemies in the game, I think, where you're just, like, running over a grate, and there are these giant guys who are, like, hanging from the bottom of of the grate and chasing you. They are so weird. They, they, ha- they have a super strange name as well. I'm trying to remember it. Yeah, we talked last week to Mike Drucker about, like, you know, a lot of the enemies in this game are very clearly kind of metaphorical in one way or another and then sometimes you get guys like this and it's like wait what what does this represent like what's the deal with these guys they scared the holy hell out of me the first time i saw them crawling yeah, maybe under that's me. their deal uh, unbelievably scared of these dudes um they rule and are uh very scary um and then we get to i think the the hour that follows this is one of my favorite like hours in video games period like from you from when you get to the silent hill historical foundation to uh basically where we end here uh after after getting out of the labyrinth i like i i messaged you blake i was like there is not enough gas in the universe to describe how much this game is cooking like it just it just goes the fuck off um but that's that's me blake as your first time playing uh, how did you, how did you experience uh, the historical foundation? Um, I I think this is where I had an epiphany about Silent Hill too. I mean, obviously, there's so much talk about like Jacob. I know you agree with the sentiment that this is like one of the better stories in video games. And coming to it for the mm-hmm. first time, there was at least you know one way I thought that might have happened, which would be lots and lots of explicit storytelling. The game kind of talking to you and. I I've, have not found that so far. There are lots of cutscenes, but I think the storytelling is a bit sparse. Um, and it was in this moment when the logic of the architecture of the world breaks. Like when you're in an apartment and you're in a hospital, it makes sense. And by the time you get to the prison, the game no longer makes sense from a layout perspective. That I realized the level design is the storytelling of this game in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And like wrapping my mind around what the historical society and then the prison and then the labyrinth meant for James was very fascinating following Maria's death or supposed (laughs) death, um, depending on how you look at it. And then the very clear visual metaphor of jumping into hole after hole. Um, I found like a really, really beautiful way to visually tell uh, James's descent into just being a rotten husk of a man. Um, and so this section, like, I don't actually think it was my favorite part to play, but visually and narratively, it was one of the big aha moments of like making, and granted, I still have the back third to play, but like making Silent Hill 2 finally start to make sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I can remember playing this like um, very early, like like when I was a teenager or, or slightly after maybe, and getting to this bit and like having this sort of epiphany that like, oh, I think I think that this isn't like just a scary town. I think yeah, you know, like and back then there wasn't a whole lot of subtext in games, even even games with a lot of narrative, like you didn't necessarily get like 
deep dives into characters or like indirect characterization like you get here and god damn it is like masterful here like even even the way the shots of him going into the holes are framed are so striking and disturbing yeah and i mean it like you know when you kind of just say it like kind of bluntly maybe it sounds a little too on the nose but i do think like Maria's death and then the next big location being a prison like makes so much sense for James mm-hmm. you know like he is I I mean there's the idea that he killed his wife but like there's no normalcy in the real a real world prison right they are truly hell and so no longer being at a an apartment building and just being like you are in the worst place imaginable in a good world um like really clicked in my brain yeah. for me you know and the idea that the the kind of layers here of both like you know as as a you know allegory for james's internal struggles but also just as a town like thinking about like okay historical society on top prison immediately below the historical society and then a fucking labyrinth under that is like you know, it is doing so much work for, like, what the fuck is Silent Hill? Like, what what is this place? And it's, like, it's not answering it, but it is giving you a lot to kind of feel about just, like, here's here's what's going on like this is this is what this town is built on top of in like many different uh ways of meaning that uh and it it rules i i i don't want to get too lost in the weeds here but like in the idea that other characters are not experiencing the exact same version of silent hill that james is i assume that means Mm -hmm. like monsters are kind of the creepy crawlies around but does that also mean the architecture of silent hill like like for um, Laura, would the prison be under the historical society? Or is that like, does that make sense? Do they ever answer that? Is that set in stone that it's like, it's there? No, no, that, that totally makes sense. I think um, yeah. the actual interactions with other characters are so sparse that it's mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult to say. There's definitely implications later in this game and in the next game. Although like even the subject of like canon between games is like fucking a nightmare but um there's definitely implications that like it it's there's the town presents itself differently to different people um i love the idea that like you have the silent hill historical society which is like a fairly normal you know place for for, for a town to have and then you have a prison which is like still normal but less so and then you just have this place that's like a complete detachment from reality with no functional or obvious purpose aside from some really nefarious shit like deep down underneath it all i think that's so fucking cool yeah and i also think you know the the way that james keeps jumping down i think is really begging us to not only be like think of this as a metaphor in general but also like you know like he is he is not traversing real space, you know, like he's not like surviving these jumps down the different holes. And so like when we see different characters and we will very explicitly see a different character's version of this in the next section, which I can't fucking wait for you to get to. um, it, It is this kind of like the, the impossible tortures of the town manifesting differently for different people and that that includes the architecture and also the impossible tortures of james's own brain Mm -hmm. um yeah so we we learn we learn some interesting stuff in this uh historical society um including and and the prison the prison was built during the civil war 
which I think is kind of a, it's an interesting thing to think about this as a Japanese game and just like writing about the American Civil War is kind of like a, a fascinating thing. Um, and, and there were in, in both the North and the South, like truly uh, horrific prison camps during the Civil War that kind of get glanced over in like American history. Uh, and so it is, it is like a, an interesting thing to grab onto. There's a line about like prisoners that could choose to die by strangling or skewering, uh, which is both relevant to like how you might die or have to solve a puzzle in this, uh, but also it's just uh, horrifying. Uh, and we find out that the lake is basically full of dead people, that they're just like shipwrecks and like various shit that's happened where they're just like, there are a bunch of dead people in that lake, uh, <laughs> which is all. Really character-building stuff. It's probably true of most American lakes, to be honest. Oh, you live next to a great lake. I'm sure there are people down there. I, I live next to over 10,000 in Minnesota, and I'm sure a lot of them are full of bodies. <laughs> um, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the big stairs. I made basically a whole video about just those big stairs because I love the big stairs so much. I took a moment to really soak those big stairs in. Like My gamer brain was like, ah, just run down them. And I, but I forced myself to walk down them and feel every step. And uh, Akira Yamaoka is fucked up for that sound he makes play that whole time. That dude needs to fucking chill. That was not okay. Um, up until this point, I love loving playing the game, having a blast. Um, I it is obviously very creepy as a game, but like as a gamer, I had not been particularly scared. Um, I think the prison is so much scarier than anything else that came before it like purely from what it is doing with the sound design that i just want to talk about it for like 45 I minutes have, I, I have one question question like you've never you're not mm -hmm. scared by the game this playthrough or just historically like you don't find the game particularly scary until this moment i i mean i think i am I was more scared my first playthrough okay. just sure. because you don't know what's happening. But it's like here, I kind of know what to expect. I know like, okay, the you know, you can kill the monsters in this way or whatever. And I think it is the fact that the prison, uh, it just puts in sounds of monsters you cannot see or interact with. Mm -hmm. Like it is so simple in talking about it and so effective in execution. And there is one monster in this place that's completely invisible. Mm-hmm. And you can, it's in one of the cells, I believe, and you can shoot it and it, it sprays blood, but you can't see it and all you can do is hear it. And I always think that idea, there's like a muscle that never gets to untense when I think about the prison because there is a monster there. There's no conclusion. There's no narrative explanation. There's no way to beat it. There's no, it's just this, it's like this little unknown piece of Silent Hill kind of touches you and mm -hmm. you never get anything back and I, I think i think that's such a such a brilliant and unnerving piece of horror um jacob in terms of like the areas that scare me i would have to say i actually find the apartments at the start really I frightening think so too. um yeah. and mm -hmm. i think that is because i can kind of imagine standing in them and i have yet to go to prison <laughs> yeah well yeah i guess that's a good a good way of thinking about it uh, well there's like a there's a normalcy to those apartments that i think mm. is very frightening that for most people like prison is scary but not in a way like john said that you can kind of like place yourself in it yeah 
that I I think that's totally true. The things that scare me in the prison are, I mean, I I have talked about before on this podcast. I am very scared of the dark. Like you know, and just kind of like if we're talking about fears, it's like I, if if I'm up late at night and walking around like my dark house, I'm freaked out. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of particularly like looking out the window and like seeing someone is like a very specific uh, fear that I have. And there are there's a couple different parts of the prison, um, one of which is uh, that big room with the gallows in it that just has the sounds of something running around that I think is actually a horse based on, like, what happens in the puzzle there is you get, like, a horseshoe. That that makes it so much more upsetting for some reason. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is just, it's this massive room. Like, it's so big and your your visibility is so short in this that you just are, like, running through it and there's nothing in it. And there's the sounds of something behind you, which I find very, very frightening. Um, and then there is... This game locks you in rooms several times in this section. But there's a part where you walk into a cell and the cell door locks behind you. And you just have to, like, stand there for a minute or two. Like, there's not a puzzle. You just have to stand there. Um, and while you're standing there, you just hear... I think maybe it's the invisible monster or maybe it is, like, a different sound but it is just these like giant footsteps mm -hmm. and then a kind of uh mumbling in a language that uh you can't understand and i in my brain i was like that's the jailer you know that's that's like who takes care of the cells or whatever but you keep expecting something to like walk into view of the cell uh, but it doesn't, and then the cell just unlocks, and it is like that feeling of something just being out there in the dark is so, uh, it's just like, that's so in my brain already. Yeah, I mean, it's masterful, like, horror creation, right? Like, it's so much scarier to not put the monster in front of you after conditioning you to expect it through a decade of horror games, well, probably not a decade, like five years before this. Um, the The restraint is surprising yeah. in a video game to not create combat. I would actually kind of say that across a lot of this game. I feel like there's a lot of moments, kind of like the 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 huge room you were, you just mentioned, Jacob, where like um, monsters in that room make it less scary. Like, yep. undoubtedly, yep. you know, because you don't get to stew in whatever the fuck is going on there. And I, 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 I would agree, Blake. I think like the restraint is such a huge part of the fear of Silent Hill 2 in a way that I don't think it is Silent Hill 1 or 3. And that's not really saying better or worse, but just that what they are going for with this, they nailed. Yeah, I, and I think, like, the weird choices... I, I guess this is probably what you were talking about earlier, John. The, the cell, I kept noticing I would walk past a cell and James would turn his head and look at it. That's the one. And I... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I'd never, like, thought to shoot in it to see blood come out, but, like... It became so anxiety-inducing because you have to run back and forth through those halls several times. Mm -hmm. Every time James would turn his head, it would just, like, send a shiver up my fucking spine because it's like, there's something there and the game refuses to tell me what it is. But James is acknowledging it. And that's, like, so much scarier than, I don't know, a monster just popping out of the cell randomly. I, I, I think it is... We were we were talking about last week kind of the the strange undefinable power this game has where you just you just play it and it's like god there is so much going on here and you kind of you want to give it the benefit of the doubt and it just feels like it's operating on such a high level and i think one of the things that makes this like 
it does not feel like it has been kind of uh supplanted since 2001 you know Mm -hmm. there's not a game that's like well this took silent hill 2's ideas and it really ran with it so if you want to play like the modern version play this you know it's like there's no it's still just silent hill 2 and i think so much of that is like it just makes so many bizarre specific choices which is not really like that's really hard to do with video games i feel like because Making video games is such a, like, you are stretching your resources as far as you can. You know, you want to, like, reuse assets. You want to develop a mechanic and then use that mechanic many times because it's, like, wasteful to only use it once. And there are just, there are so many things that kind of push games into predictability in one way or another that, like, this it just doesn't feel like it's designed the way we know games are designed you know like all of the decisions we think games are supposed to make it doesn't i would totally agree with that because like for as much as i like find the like development behind silent hill really fascinating a lot of the times especially with silent hill 2 i really feel like i am playing this game that kind of nearly just came into existence because a lot about its design is counterintuitive, but in a way that just works so beautifully. And like, you're right, Jacob, like in a way that I don't think has ever really been supplanted. I think survival horror is still kind of obsessed with Silent Hill 2. And there's so many different games that have tried to do what this game does. And sometimes like very successfully, like a game like Devotion is is absolutely beautiful and fantastic and such a like unique singular experience but also still not even in the same planet as Silent Hill 2. You know, like, the thing that comes close would probably be Silent Hill 3, um, which I think is really best viewed as its own thing because it's so different. But even then, there is just this weird, untouchable, unquantifiable quality to Silent Hill 2 that I have never really been able to move past. And sometimes I worry, like, is that the mystique of nostalgia speaking? Like... Do you feel that way, Blake? Like how? Yes. <laughs> yes. Really? Okay. Like, interesting. I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with it. it's like the first episode of this show. I really had I I had had a lot of trouble just talking about the game because there were just like any given second didn't feel that interesting like to talk about, and yet I was obsessed with the game from like I cannot stop thinking about it. Like I have obsessively started watching like playthroughs of it. To just see it again, like to be like I, that one hallway on the second floor of the apartment has this like weird gravitational pull to it in a way that doesn't make sense to explain because it's like, I don't know, any fucking hallway in the Spencer Mansion I could give two shits about. But there's something about the way this game presents itself and the mysteries that it like really kind of strings you along and then just the sheer terror of taking two steps forward in this game that I think makes it like. There's a part of your brain that even though you, at least I am like fucking petrified of this 20 year old game that kind of looks like dog shit on my TV that I cannot like pull myself away from, which sounds very cliche for a game that is like literally about people being uh, ominously summoned to this town for reasons they're not completely clear of. But like, I don't think there's necessarily a nostalgia to it, at least not for me, because I've never played the game until two weeks ago, you know, like not in full. Um, There is something very unique and singular about this game that i think like no other game replicates and so when you experience it when it clicks you can't get it out of your head i don't know if that answered your question but that is like something i've been thinking about oh no no totally totally uh jacob i'm curious just to ask you um 
where do you feel like like I don't want to keep take this too off topic here, but where do you feel like Silent Hill Three lands in relation to that? Like, would you have a similar reverence for that game? Well, okay, so I've only played like half of Silent Hill Three, so I've been I I don't have I don't have full thoughts on it. I think that that game is has its own very interesting power. Like there are kind of scenes that i think about from that game a lot you know like the the i think the character models and like the the way that they like shoot scenes is often so evocative and so memorable Mm -hmm. but it is like that is different than yeah you know like it's not i don't really think about like the experience of playing it as much as i just think about like these really cool shots that the game sets up yeah like i i i i love 3 um i think i made a video on 3 before but i think i am guilty in that video of in a way criticizing it for not being too too do you know what i mean yeah yeah and i also i also think it's very interesting like um Silent Hill 3 is a game that I feel like, especially like with a lot of kind of female video essayists I watch, it tends to resonate more with them because there is so much about like, <laughs> like menstruation, huge part of that game and like mm-hmm. ownership over one's mm-hmm. body being like preyed upon, like just kind of more, there's a lot of very like female adolescent themes and I think it's kind of, it's it's really important to kind of recognize that side of it too. But yeah, they're really... They are such a fascinating pair of sequels. I, I really, I think about them so much. I think, I, just going back to that, that uh, thinking about nostalgia, I think there are some, there are elements of this game that I can't even say if they were made intentionally or not, but but have just kind of aged, aged so interestingly. And one of those is the specific tone of the music, because I feel like the music is doing nostalgia in a very kind of weird way where i mean it's like you know you can talk about theme of laura which is this kind of like more uh, almost like an alt rock uh you know theme that the game starts with and it sounds you know to me i listen to it now and the sound of it like the actual sound of the guitar is like very nostalgic Mm -hmm. just because it sounds you know it sounds like music that i listened to uh you know in my early teens or whatever and you think about in 2001 it maybe wouldn't have had that quality because it was more like contemporaneous with the sound. But I, I think even for its time, it wasn't specifically a contemporary sound compared to a lot of the rock coming mm-hmm. out in 2001, which would have been like the tail end of new metal uh, kind of third wave pop punk. Um, and then yeah. just like standard alternative stuff that this actually doesn't fit in with. I think this has much more in common with like um, definitely mid '90s kind of mm-hmm. indie stuff like Hum, even though it's not kind of the same genre, but very guitar driven, um, not quite grunge, but pulling from indie and even like mid to late '80s emo, like Cure and shit like that. Um, that probably yeah. makes it even nostalgic then, because it doesn't feel of its era. In a lot of cases, the industrial music kind of does, but the guitar driven stuff, I think, is not early 2000s sounding to me are you familiar with um the the caretaker do you like the uh the musical artist Mm. the caretaker that has um there are some of these videos on youtube that you might have just stumbled across because they have like a million views but they have an album that's called i think it's like mental caverns without sunshine or something but it's this very i think i've come across these it, 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 it essentially sounds like it's like a broken gramophone playing in an empty mall. Like it's intentionally very like kind of 
classic sounding songs classic being like i don't know mm. 40s 50s but like uh, really kind of wound down and distorted and echoey and whatever and it's very it's very like liminal space e music you know a lot of times like videos about uh, the back rooms or like the pools or whatever will have similar music to this but it is like the specific way that the audio itself is adjusted just makes it sound old or sound sound kind of like distant in a way that i think some of the silent hill 2 soundtrack is doing um and so it's like even if it's the first time you've heard it it kind of sounds like a memory of something that you have uh which is just such an impressive trick to pull with music big time and like a carry on okay like he's he's done other incredible stuff besides like the like the silent hill 3 soundtrack in a lot of ways is nearly as good but it is that like like ethereal fabricated nostalgia that i've just never heard in anything else um like i like i'm I'm sure you noticed this as well jacob but like using silent hill 2 music in a video essay is it's it's practically like a giant cliche at this point and i, yep. I it's like a cheat and code. i say that as someone who is absolutely going to use some silent hill 2 music in my next video <laughs> it just it just works because it's like when you don't want to be prescriptive about your emotions but you just want to communicate like there's something like this is weird and i want you to feel that it's weird but i don't want you to feel specifically like sad yeah. or scared yeah. about it that's silent hill yeah. music um, I have a story about the sound effects in the prison level and how it made me have to investigate my actual apartment. Yeah. Um, okay, so something Silent Hill 2 launched with, it was the launch of this new Sony audio tech. I don't remember what it's called, uh, but it's big on the bo- back of the box of the PS2 version, and there's a little quick write-up in the, uh, the description about it. I think it's called S-Audio or something. But what it does is if you don't have surround sound, which I do not in my apartment, it mimics it through normal speakers. Um, and I'm playing the PS2 version, so like I assume it's utilizing that. And a few weeks ago, uh, I noticed a wet spot on right in the entrance of my apartment. What it turned out to be was just it's been hot, and one of the, the, the pipes started sweating, and it came up through the wood. It was no big deal. Didn't require repair. But before I knew what it was, uh, I was really worried about it because it was getting bigger. And the sound of the water dripping in the prison was put to the right speaker and it sounded like it was coming from the wet spot so numerous times i had to pause the game and walk over and be like what the fuck is happening over here like (laughs) do i have a big leak do i need to call the maintenance guy now and they're like wait the game is paused am i good but numerous times i had to like pause and go investigate my apartment because of this fucking s audio surround sound it has um and you also told me there was a moment where there was like a woman that screamed and you weren't (laughs) sure if it was from i still have no clue if that was in the game or in my building because people not blood curdingly blood curdlingly but there's just a lot of shouting that seems to happen in this building it's none of my business so i don't worry about it but i was playing this game one day and someone somewhere i don't know if from the depths of silent hill or here in suburban minneapolis let out the gnarliest scream i've ever heard and i could not figure out where it came from that happened to me once with actually the the guy who gave me a loan of the silent hill 2 disc we're staying over in his house, completely not playing Silent Hill or anything. And in the middle of the night, I hear 
the most like someone is being murdered scream yeah. I have ever heard. And like I co- I I I was so frightened I couldn't breathe. And I like I woke up and I was like Jeff, 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 someone's screaming, someone's screaming. And then he's just like, oh, it's my brother. He does that. <laughs> <laughs> does hey. he have like night terrors or something i think he must you know oh my god well i wonder what mine was because this was like 2 p.m on a tuesday i was doing it on my work break for or my lunch break from work yeah i still have no clue where my silent hill two hours yeah. i i can't play it at night anymore it's actually too scary so i play it when the sun's still out and i can't wear headphones anymore it's like it fucks with me that badly there is in this section is one of the few I, I don't I don't say cheap scares in a negative way because I think that a a well done jump scare is like fine and adds to it. But there's like oh in the bathroom there's like a mean thing yeah. in the bathroom <laughs> yeah where you uh, essentially you just walk into this bathroom there's nothing in there you can like try and open a stall and and I think James says something insane like oh guess someone's in there and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about James um but then but then you leave the bathroom and as you're leaving there's just a very loud scream that comes from the stall and it's scary and I jumped something we don't talk about is James is the dumbest man who has ever lived like a pure (laughs) idiot (laughs) Uh, I think what I love about it though and it kind of builds on like I remember watching James jump into the holes repeatedly and like obviously i was telling him to jump into holes but i remember watching him do it and being like ah this lad's not right you know (laughs) and i i think like there's someone in there and not thinking that that's not the most terrifying thing in the world like Mm. i don't want to give the game too much credit but i I feel like it nearly adds to this like disconnect for james you know Mm. Something's wrong with him. The boy ain't right. Boy ain't right. There's uh, there's one other specific moment that I want to talk about uh, in the prison, which is uh, another time that the game locks you in a room where you just you get you walk into a room and it goes completely dark. Oh yeah. And I was like, I what what do you do here? What do you do? And then I remembered I was just looking at my inventory and I was like, hours ago. Mm-hmm. I found like a flashlight battery in the hospital and I hadn't used it for anything. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I put it in the flashlight and you turn on your flashlight and the room is full of bugs, just like crawling on every wall. And it's so they make like a horrible noise, the bugs. And then there is a keypad and you can see which keys are worn, but you can't see in what combination they were pushed. And I don't think it's a puzzle. You just have to try them until you, like, get the combination. Just an incredible moment. I believe it's RNG, too, so you can't even memorize which one it is. I think I think <laughs> it changes. The only on... other thing I can remember is there's a bit in Final Fantasy VII like that. And mm-hmm. it comes, like, ages after a save spot, so you can't really save it. But basically, to get the most powerful summon in the game... You have to enter just this random string, I think three or four numbers, and the only thing they tell you is that two two of the symbols are the same beside each other. And it always stresses me out so bad trying to get it. Again, it's like, that's not game design. You know, you think, like, there should be something that tells me Mm -hmm. what order to Mm -hmm. push these in. And it's like, nope, you just, just scramble, you know, just be panicked. So interesting. Um, so, uh, you, you get... You get under the prison, um, and you drop into um, the back rooms. Pretty this uh, this <laughs> this area, whatever it is, I always feel kind of sick when I go through this area, and I don't know why. I wrote I wrote 
nauseatingly scary. Like, I literally wrote those. It was like, I don't... It is causing a physical reaction in me. And it's just... it's How soon is it into this where we get, like the cutscene with mary through the bars pretty pretty quickly mm-hmm. i think i think there is like there's an argument to be made that this cutscene is like the center of the entire game mm-hmm. because it's like mary flits between being like three different characters and like the vocal inflections change each time and god it's it's fucking so horrible and eerie and beautiful i remember um I remember, like, when when I when I had like my PlayStation Two first and getting like one of the demo discs with a magazine and the trailer f- and just putting on the trailer for Silent Hill Two, having not a whole lot of concept for what Silent Hill even was, and the f- one of the first images was that front shot of Mary sitting on the stool, James, honey, like, oh my god, that if I had never played Silent Hill Two, that image would still be burned into my mind. There is so much heavy lifting done just by the like visual design of this. Like the fact that there are seats in front of her cell like says so much to me. The fact that you can mm-hmm. just when the cutscene is over, stay in there and watch her, but you cannot interact. Like if you press X, James doesn't even say anything. And you just sit there and watch her. And I'm like, there is a lot going on. Even just like beyond the cutscene. Just in this room. They are doing so fucking much with this. I think this is... um, This was kind of the proof of concept FMV, I'm pretty sure. One of of the kind of history of Silent Hill videos uh, by by the gaming muse, I think talks about this. Um, but it was like, I, you know, I, I love all the FMVs in this, uh, so much. They were all essentially hand animated by one guy, uh, who, who often was like looking at himself in a mirror and doing it. Um, and, and this one is just like the, the lighting is dialed in so perfectly to kind of be like bright and then like faded in the back. And the, the way that Mary slash Maria like touches him is so just kind of like it is, you know, it is totally an argument for like the in-game graphics could not have done it as strangely tenderly and whatever. And actually when it cuts from the FMV to Very the in-game, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. And it, you just, it's like shot composition, you know, I think is so fascinating and you know it's something that we talk about now a lot with cinematography and obviously people were thinking about this before but it just being so clearly like we have thought about how we are going to present mary slash maria to james and how she's going to look at him and how like how the camera is going to see her uh in a way that still just works and how if you muted the seed you could still glean parts of the story just from the setting like there's a lot of thought put into just like what this room is rather than having them talk in any other room of the building like they are putting a lot of thought into like how is how are the visuals going to back up what she's saying here yeah and like i think um you know the even the cutscene visuals i think in a lot of ways they you know those character models are quite simple and like there's kind of a lot like they're for 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 that area they're obviously very elaborate but i also think there's something to be said for when you can tell a scene has been done and done and done and done and it's reached like take 11 take 12 take 13 take 14 this to me just feels like a scene that is so 
meticulously dialed in like you kind of like you were saying earlier Jacob that every little part of it just works really beautifully and like you are right like you could watch this silent and get a whole lot out of it but even like um the vocal performance the the voice actor for Mary is but even like her little bit of C James and then her voice drops like a full octave I'm real like Mm -hmm. oh my god Mm -hmm. it is just incredible i i wrote in the scene uh i i feel like uh gaslighting has become almost a punchline in that people misuse it so much but this is a scene where she is very literally gaslighting him where he's like i saw you die and she's like no you didn't what are you talking about i'm fine look at me i'm here i love and like the transition of from that to are you confusing me to someone else and then she becomes mary for a couple of lines and then it's like oh you forgot mm-hmm. that videotape and it's oh my god it's it's like i this is one of my favorite cutscenes in video games like it's it's one of my favorite scenes in anything i think i i really adore it for reasons i'm not entirely sure about the her saying you forgot that videotape in the hotel terrified me and it's probably just because i realize i'm gonna have to go figure out what's on that fucking videotape and it's not gonna be nice or cool or safe for me uh but something about that like really unsettled me i think in a way it's the line where she becomes more than a character like she becomes Mm. nearly a kind of concept she is this weird fucking confluence of memory and all this yeah it's it's i i fully understand how you could feel like that Mm -hmm. even not having context and and like the i think the implication if you if you don't know kind of where the story is going is like you would assume she's talking about a sex tape is kind of like <laughs> yeah. if it's like you went on a vacation to a hotel and you left a sex tape there if like you left a tape in the hotel room that is kind of what i would assume and it's like could be a funny concept but in this world where we know that everything is horrible you know there isn't like a nice thing that exists in silent hill the idea of a sex tape being like this horrifying concept i think is really like this game and boy are we going to get to it uh in a second but it's like this game does utilize sex and the concept of uh sex and assault and whatever in ways much more explicit than most games Mm -hmm. do and for back then Yeah. yeah yeah crazy um so just the idea of that being so uh, it's like that is a scary concept, even though you don't really understand why, just because it seems so like big and weird that that would exist. Um, yeah, you uh, and so then then we're in we're in the labyrinth for a while. Did you all find did you find Pyramid's Head's knife in the labyrinth that you can use as a weapon? I did the first time, but I missed it this time. Yeah, I, I, I have missed it on various playthroughs as well. I think it's in that first area where the door is uh, you have. There's all the wires across one there's of the, the doorways. Door. Um, yeah. If you go, the, one of the stairways leads down there, and there's a door in there. But that's where Pyramid Head can show up and scare the bejeebus out of me. But I did get a sword, which feels completely unusable. It's so slow. Yeah, it does so much damage, but it is so slow. And that Pyramid Head scare is the one for me that's the one yes there's not even a sound cue there's nothing because i i had to i don't remember why but i had to reload a save and play back through oh 
when I got to the Mary section in the cell, I accidentally uh, pressed start and skipped the cutscene. So I had to replay a portion of the labyrinth. And the first time I played through it, I did not encounter Pyramid Head. So I thought I was totally safe down there. Really? The second time I went down there, I was like, I'm good. The monsters under oh. me can't hurt me. And so I was just running around, not a care in the world. And then he was just fucked that, up That would have messed me up. My it, God. Yeah, it destroyed me. It was awful. It is, it is always an effective trick in a horror game where it's like, and this one is unintentional, it sounds like. But, like, the idea of, like, you've been through this area before. You know it's safe. And, like, that's when they throw in a guy. And they did that in, like, you know, the Resident Evil 4 remake does that pretty effectively. Uh, but I just love the, like, I'm just going through this area to find the ammo or whatever. And then them surprising you with something new is just, like, such a good trick. Yeah. I don't know if you you guys have played uh, Fear and Hunger, but the Crow Mauler from that game is just the scariest version of that i think ever. well aside from really? this, but yeah oh, oh terrifying and you i i haven't played it but mm-hmm. i watched your video on it and it, it seems kind of similar in that it just shows yeah up, and you're just right? like what's that and that ruins your game i've 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 like st- studied up a little bit on the sphere and hunger game and i can't do it it seems like too much for me but my hat's off to anyone who can play that evil game. There are people in my Discord talking about this podcast who are just begging for us to cover it. And both Blake and I are like, look, we got we to gotta be making a lot more money for this in order <laughs> well, like, to, to dive into that Fear one. and Hunger rules. Anyone could play Fear and Hunger with the caveat of depending on how much time you are willing to put into it. It's not a skill thing. It's not. It's not like a hard game. The whole game is basically knowledge checks, you know and unraveling that is or is one of the best experiences i've had in a long time also just not for everybody you know? uh so okay so we run through the labyrinth for a long time it's very confusing the map is weird like the map doesn't show you all the time um and then we get to um i i, I hate to say my favorite scene because it is so so awful but i think one of the most effective scenes in this game which is uh the angela boss fight or the the boss fight where Angela is, um, uh, where you're <laughs> like going yeah, on. Excited to talk about this. How one. about them walls? Um, hey man, yeah. So you're, you're. I think I sent Jacob a message after I fought that. I was like, the walls are the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. They're horrible. They are so awful. So so to set this up, uh, you're walking. You you're outside a room and you hear Angela, who's. Um, a woman that you've met a couple times before in this game, uh, staring at a knife in a mirror. We talked to Mike Drucker last week about um, how it's she's supposed to be a teen, which is very weird because she's dressed so kind of old, which is in fact part of her character is that she's really kind of dressing in these billowy clothes. And we, we kind of hear why now, because she is screaming about her dad uh, doing something. Um and you enter the room, and it is a room that is uh, seems to be wallpapered in flesh, and she's in the corner of it, and there is this... It, it just looks like a guy melded with a bed. You know, it is it is just this kind of abstract shape that's like a bed that can get up and hurt you. Uh, and in the walls are just these pistons that are, like, going in and out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, I don't know. It's the most explicit. The walls are also the walls. The walls are also made of flesh, like or so it yeah. appears. Anyway. Yeah, the I think skin out skin of every walls. single room in this game, this is the one I would least like to. <laughs> oh be yeah, in. yeah. And there are a lot of rooms I don't want to be oh, in yeah. this game. 
But um, but yeah, the, uh, I think there's there's so many like really troubling aspects to this part. One of the parts that really actually bothers me is that there is just a television set in this room, and it's uh, and it's like um, it brings like a degree of normalcy. Like this is a living space, and that only adds to like what kind of like I, I guess just to like drop a content warning here for people like it, it's kind of impossible mm-hmm. to talk about this boss fight and this room without without getting it like a little bit into like subjects like sexual assault and stuff and so you know people are sensitive about that i just don't want to drop them in it but i think it's safe to say jacob like we're gonna have like at least kind of talk about it a little here it is it is impossible not to um so i guess the implication of this boss fight is that well not the implication the direct text of the scene is that angela was assaulted by her either I can't remember stepfather, father. I think it's I just, think it's just father. I believe it is. Yeah, um, because I think the yeah. the implication there is it's incest yeah. specifically. And um, like it's interesting. Like when I always think, like when you look closely at the either doorman or abstract daddy, which are the two fan names that have been ascribed to this creature. Yeah. Um, you can kind of see like two people nearly writhing around the bed, which is really awful because it it does not sound like a good time at all like it, it it does not sound like a consensual thing and it, it's mm-hmm. it is highly disturbing and um i think what is interesting here and like i i really don't want to speak for you know all victims of sexual assault or anything like that but i feel like this game has an incredible amount of sympathy for angela in the way it treats her in the way that it portrays her and the way that it kind of depicts her pain and like the long-lasting effect this really awful thing had on her life and i think that stuff is so necessary if any media is going to go near a narrative like this and why i i think it's it's really one of the few times you can see it handled kind of at least to me and and like in my relatively uninterest un, uneducated perspective handled well yeah i mean it, it doesn't exploit her pain right there's not like a a rape scene in this game where it's like isn't this awful look at what happened to her stare at it like it lets the action exist with within the narrative without having to shove your face in it. And it lets the character be her own person and speak for herself in a way that does not feel as um, tacky or gaudy or definitely disgusting um, in other media representations for ape and sexual assault. Like, Angela is allowed to have the room to be a character and talk. There's so much rage and sadness in her. Like, when she... When you defeat the monster and she absolutely loses it, it's it's really sad. Like it's like, oh, that fucking sucks. Blake, um, did you know the game was gonna go here? Um, so I did not know the specifics. I knew it dealt with um uh, incest and sexual assault, but like I was not entirely clear. And I, I think I knew it centered on Angela, but like in terms of the specifics and the scene and everything that was gonna happen, I had no clue what was that was all about you know and i think it 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 is again the game's strength is its uh its ability to hold back and have the characters speak so abstractly Mm -hmm. where like the fact that the fact that no one really talks like a person in this i think really benefits the scene because i don't really trust uh most writers to be able to like write a character like 
really candidly and specifically talking about their sexual assault. You know, I think that's like an incredibly hard thing to pull off. And so the fact that even though, uh, you know, the imagery is about as explicit as it possibly could be, like the fact that you are still kind of having people talk around it and having Angela, you know, be responding to it in almost everything about her character, but not saying like, here's what happened to yeah. me, I, I think is is totally to the game's yeah. benefit. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of interesting in like how it deals with the impact. Um, like Berserk is another thing where like it basically, it's three central characters all deal with kind of sexual assault. And in three very different ways, it shows the effect on them. And what I would say, like, Berserk, and, like, I say this is, like, my favorite story of all time. Berserk is very, like, exploitive, particularly in one scene, how it deals with that stuff. But I think where it kind of does right by the characters is it then spends about 300 chapters showing you the effect and damage that causes. And I think, in a way, Silent Hill 2 sort of flips that in that, like, you're encountering Angela this whole game and you know she's not right. She's she's kind of childish she's kind of hard to understand she's very frightened of you and it's like you don't really understand where that comes from and then this scene is such a gut punch of oh no and i think it, it's really it, it is so effective um it is it is interesting to think about i mean it's like you know i do think that a criticism you could give of of the character is essentially like this is kind of her whole deal you know, you like sure. you don't see a lot of Angela outside of this, but that is also true of every character yeah. who's in yeah, Silent Hill. That. Is like they're they're all there. The one thing that's interesting about her, and I don't think it's it's bad, but it is just interesting within the kind of uh, how the story works, is like James and Eddie are there because like they did fucked up things you know and and angela is not like angela did not do anything wrong to end up in silent hill and so it paints the you know i think if it was just james it would be easy to be like silent hill is yeah. hell mm -hmm. you know like he deserves it he's here and and uh there is a way that Angela is experiencing hell, but it is not like it's not because she did something wrong. It's just because like she she is now trapped here as well. And so it's it's interesting to think of the town's malice as something that is like it's not it's not moral. It's not there because of like it is past a moral judgment no. on them. It is because the person has like kind of put themselves. Yeah, yeah, I think like Silent Hill 2 explores like guilt, but I don't feel it's a game about it. You know what I'm saying? Like it feels more like the town itself and the creators wanted to explore trauma as a concept and just James's trauma yeah. is yeah. based around guilt. I feel it is people unable to move past certain events mm, and sure. becoming like trapped in those memories and then again eventually physically trapped in this town i always think it's kind of interesting um and i think like it makes sense but i always think it's interesting that angela was never in the pizza or in the bowling the bowling alley cutscene. that one little moment of yeah. reprieve in the entire game and she doesn't get that and it kind of i, I think it kind of makes sense in a way because she wouldn't 
you know, like that would be a frightening situation to her. Yeah, I, I that scene. I mean, that scene is so weird for so many reasons. That pizza scene, because as as uh, Mike pointed out last week, it's like seeing Laura be like mean to Eddie is also this mm-hmm. weird thing where it's like L- Laura seems to operate outside the rules of the town, but like you know, Eddie's there eating pizza, and Laura's like, "You big fat so blah 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 blah," <laughs> and it's it, it, yeah, it would like Angela would not. She just wouldn't fit in mm. that scene in in probably, the you know, in both like it's fun and Angela doesn't get that. But also like she has socially isolated yeah. herself. And so she doesn't get to like talk to the other characters. Yeah. Like anytime you do meet her, she can't get away from you quick enough. Right before you enter the hallway that includes Angela's room, you can find a newspaper clipping about the murder of Father Orozco. Is that her last right. name? Maybe you can find the news clipping about her killing her father, and it points to uh, the fact he was stabbed to death uh, by a pointy object, which uh, finally explained the knife in my inventory that I'd been carrying the whole game and was uh, a bit of a moment. I don't know. Jacob, John, have you found that newspaper clipping? It's it's a big uh, puzzle piece coming together in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but also it's like, you know, that it doesn't. It doesn't take away the knife's other implication, you know, because when we find her, it very much seems like she's going to use it to hurt herself. Uh, True, but there's... I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this or what I'm trying to say, but that knife has become like such a sticking point for me in this game of just like what hey, is it just it just hangs out I there. Know. Finding the newspaper clipping is one of the moments though my blood kind of went very cold playing this game and just been like, ah, I see what I'm carrying around with me now. So then after this uh moving on from this uh wonderful section um there's some other weird stuff that happens uh we find maria and she's dead and her face is all like fucked up i there's something about this scene that really fuck fucks me up i i i'm really it because like it's so unfair and awful it's like but like we already watched her die and then she came back and now she's dead again but there's not even a reason she's dead she's just like it's it's really it really feels like nightmare logic this scene dead in like a very brutal way right like it's Mm -hmm. very hard to just look at her face we don't know what happened to it but it is clear like it was not a easy way to go out for her yeah and like it's not like she's covered in blood but there is like speckles of blood around her nose and mouth and it, it feels very like real like someone died from like an overdose or something and it's it's oh it's horrible i think nightmare logic is uh is such a good way of describing this and it also it kind of explains james's bizarre behavior because like in nightmares you do weird things and like one of the things with the scene is like you leave the room and then you can't yeah re-enter yeah you know like like if you try to go back in that door you get a message which is like you know the there is no it's not like the door locked behind james it's just like you can't go in there anymore which feels like a very dreamy thing i think there's also like he also sits by the bed and he calls her mary which i think is such a tragic moment for maria who is like clearly by this point an object to james i feel like and like I don't know whether, I don't know however you view it, whether she's a real person or not, but like to James, she is not like he, she is a stand in for someone that she can never be. And I think the fact that he cannot even give her the respect on her second deathbed here to call her her name, like speaks volumes to like 
Just like, I mean, frankly, how big of a piece of shit James is. Absolutely, yeah. And then there is a moment, the, the underground starts to just totally break down in its construction here. I mean, even more so. Uh, there's just a cemetery. Oh, yeah. Here, like with grass and with gravestones and, and the graves essentially have the names of all the characters in the game well, on them. All, all the characters and all the characters in memos. I noticed. Yeah. there. Yeah, which I thought was a great touch. And James, of course, uh, jumps down his own grave, uh, which, why not? Subtext is point? for cowards. Uh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. What do you think, the, what do you think the, the dev meeting was when they're like, all right, so we're going to have him jump down a hole, help kind of explain his psyche. And then one guy pipes up. He's like, mm, what if 15 holes? What if one of them's a grave? What if one of the holes was actually a hallway and you could see that it was... We didn't <laughs> oh, even yeah, talk about yeah. that. That one of the holes that he jumps down is like the hallway tipped sideways. We didn't talk about the hole where you have to jump down and then bang at the wall repeatedly until you find the one pixel you can break. And you'll... Yeah, God, that's so fucked door. up. <laughs> this game's so fucking evil. And and then... And so then from from Angela, which is this this kind of horrific and very kind of i don't know in some ways indelicate but like in many ways thoughtfully handled scene we we get to eddie who is just one of the strangest characters in this whole game um who's killed someone else he says that he was like looking at him with crazy eyes he's like yeah i killed a dog too uh so what and then you just uh you fight him and it's a strange moment in this game i think so i i would say like being completely honest this is one of the rare moments of this game that is a bit of a misfire to me. Mm. In that I think it's a very clumsy boss fight. Like, it is a survival horror boss fight with a not a shambling monster, but a sentient person. So it it, it looks a bit silly and it's a bit goofy. But I think um I think Eddie's a really fascinating character, and there's something about his arc that I think maybe is just not tied off a hundred percent here. What what did you guys think? I, I think like I the whole time I've been playing this without, you know, the conclusions yet, I've been figuring out like who the supporting cast is in relation to James. And I see Eddie as this the callous killer in James. And so the more he was just gross and disgusting or offensive or just like unapathetic to what he was doing, the more I actually liked him as a character to explain that like this is kind of James's mirror in a way. Um, the way Maria is kind of a mirror of Mary, I think Eddie is who James thinks he is and like perhaps correctly so. And so just Eddie is this nasty nihilistic like force in this town i think really really worked for me yeah i i like i love i love all the eddie you know killing a man mm. ain't no big deal <laughs> yeah. like that that sort of stuff is, i think his lines are delivered mm. really that's, well that's brilliant yeah. like those those are the parts i love um and and i john you even you even talked about in your video from six years ago like how weird eddie's design is in that it's like his pupils are like super uh I don't know if I don't know if they're dilated or the reverse, but it's like they make his eyes look kind of strange. Um, yeah, they don't like look in the same direction all the time either. They're kind of like cockeyed yeah. a little bit. You know, it's like there is there is potentially um, more than a little fat phobia sure. in like his character oh, design, but I do yeah. think they do. You know, they they do a good job 
in more than just making him fat that it's like he is unsettling you know like his performances like everyone else's performances are like they are off in a very specific way um where it falls apart for me i think is just the boss fight you know like this game having such uh interesting allegorical boss fights for many of them and then this is just like you just shoot him with a gun repeatedly like it it just feels kind of silly in a way that i don't like i can't make any more of it than just what it is i think the the moment that's a little bit of a misstep for me knowing one of the big twists at the end is james being like i killed a human I was like, well, yeah, you already did. I think they could have omitted that line. Well, no, but I, I think that, I think that works. You think so? Uh, I would agree. Just yeah. because it's well, because it's okay. like the whole, you know, in in that I, you don't quite know how the twist sure. pans out. Uh, y- you know, yeah, and James is in denial about it at this point, quite clearly. But I don't know. I just maybe that's a fault of me, just n- unfortunately having part of the game spoiled for me. I do also think that's kind of it's a nice underlining of of just like oh yeah we have been killing like i don't think i necessarily would have clocked that if he didn't say it because you do kill a lot of things in this game and it's like the nurses are super fucked up but like could be humans you know and and like other other various things and so for james to say that is kind of like okay this was different this was and so maybe maybe it's good that he just shoots Eddie, but it just shooting him with a rifle like ten times <laughs> feels dumb. I, I think like the the plot event of James killing Eddie is good and important, and I think there's a like from a from, from like a full story perspective, you can look at it in a lot of interesting ways. The manner at which it happens is like one of the only stumbling sure. points in this entire game for me. Yeah, it's just it's just a little messy. I do like the the implication in the prison and then in the first room you find Eddie in here uh, that he is in Silent Hill killing humans, not monsters, because the bodies you see mm-hmm. do not look like mm-hmm. the monsters you've been killing. Yeah. Uh, there is an implication that he is in a town with other humans to the extent to which I don't really know. But I really like that. You yeah, know, that is that is so interesting and so yeah. fun. And it's like hard to say too much without going into full spoilers. But yeah. From from what I pick up in this conversation, Blake, you know some stuff and you have other stuff coming that I'm definitely listening to the third episode of this. Like <laughs> Thank you. We need all the help we can get on those lessons. Thank you. Um, That's been one of the interesting... I think I talked about this a little bit on the first episode, but it has been one of the very fascinating things playing this game for the first time. It's like, having had such broad strokes of it spoiled for me, I kind of was like, okay, so what am I getting out of this? Is it just finally I'm playing the game I know through osmosis? And it was very evident from the jump that it was like, there is so much in here that I did not know about. And so it's like, at this point, knowing James killed his wife has felt so unimportant. I know, obviously, it's going to be narratively important, but it no longer feels like it has ruined the story for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I'm still experiencing this very fresh. So the the first time I played Silent Hill 2, like, start to finish, I knew that twist as well. And I was still rocked by the final act in a way that I have yet to be rocked by a video game wow. again all right i'm probably gonna have to blaze through it tonight so i'm sure i'm going to go to bed uh just 
on a cloud. I'm sure I'll feel great by the end of this evening. It's <laughs> <laughs> so uplifting. Yeah. Um, uh, dear listener, uh, let, let that be a message to you. Even if you've listened to this whole podcast, still go play oh, Silent Hill 2. Yeah. Like, it's not... You're not missing out by hearing us just talk about it. And I, I would always say, like... I always think that when people think they watch like a uh, intensive piece of like media analysis on a piece of media, I do think there's people like, oh, well, now I can't play the thing or watch the thing. No, like you can. You absolutely can. The, the, the experience of like consuming a piece of media firsthand is always going to be so, so different than listening to someone else's account of it. And that's what... That's that's the end of where we played. Uh, this is where uh, Blake messaged me very angrily and said, "I need to keep playing this game." What the fuck? <laughs> it's so fucked up. Like I, in my restless dreams, I see this goddamn town, dude. It's all I think about. So I am so relieved that I can go play and find out what happens next. It's been a fucked up week for me, Jacob. I've been playing this in Armor Core Six over the last two weeks, and that is a horrible mm-hmm. headspace to put your brain in constantly. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of. <laughs> Those are two very extreme ends. I'm playing a bunch of that them there, Baldur's Gate 3. And they should put an armored core in Silent Hill. <laughs> be a lot, it'd be a quicker game. I tell you what, I would just bulldoze the entire town and go home. <laughs> no more need for this shit. Um, John, we have uh, we do bonus episodes uh, for each season where we talk about um, tangentially related media that we feel like kind of goes along with whatever we talked about, you know, last season or, or a couple seasons ago, we did like no more heroes. And so we talked oh. about like jackass and, uh, you know, other other things uh, inspired by such. We are going to do that for this season. But you are so, um, you know, as as I talked about at the beginning, your Silent Hill 2 video was like, I'm taking a break from my normal sort of media. Are there, you know, is, is there something that you could point to that you feel like is kind of operating on the same level as this you know an anime or manga or just you know like another uh movie or book that you feel like has silent hill 2 vibes so i would say um the book dance dance by hiroki murakami has really similar silent hill 2 vibes to me that's the book that inspired a lot of Catherine. um uh the Mm -hmm. the game devotion um by red candle studios i feel like is very clearly inspired by silent hill 2 but a completely different approach to it um there was one game what was it called it was like a 2d survival horror 2 it's called like lost casualty or so it's from so long ago i'm sorry let me just try and google this real quick um while while we were talking and you first brought up devotion i in real time added it to our spreadsheet of uh rotten games to potentially play i can't believe i didn't think of it before because it is that is a a rotten game in many ways yeah and detention as well like the game that came before it definitely has it um it's definitely not like a silent hill 2 game it's a it's a there's a game but there's a game called uh, the complex found footage and that game is the whole idea is like you're trapped in the back rooms or you're trapped in liminal space like that's the whole concept of it but it Mm -hmm. executes it so beautifully and parts of it i really think pick up that this might sound strange after everything we've said but there is a kind of comfort and even coziness to silent hill 2 that i love and that might be a nostalgic element to it but i think a lot of it's just like it's the bowling alley scene it's kind of like walking around 
Silent Hill during the day and it's just all mist and it's so disconnected from any kind of semblance of normal life and I think that game touches on it quite well and um, Jacob's Ladder obviously but I'm sure you're very aware of that um, and that's about it I did um, I run a secret review blog in my Patreon where I review basically everything and I did recently write a review called uh, The Silent Hill 2 of Pizza. Um, that's, yeah, that's, uh-huh. uh, that's a restaurant called Pie, P-I in Dublin. So maybe that's that's what you guys are looking for. <laughs> Where's Eddie get pizza in Silent Hill? <laughs> uh, apparently this place in Dublin. <laughs> yeah, do you think they delivered to Maine? Yeah, do you think they delivered to Maine 20 years ago? <laughs> that fucked me up, actually, was recently learning Silent Hill's just in Maine. Something about learning it's in an actual state was a little was a little deflating to me. I I don't think that's actually true. I think um Mike writes about in his in his book it's like it's kind of a widely uh, circulated thing, but it's not. Yeah, that's be, that's become um that's become like a a big kind of urban myth about Silent Hill. Um uh, the, the 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 closest Silent Hill has to like a place of origin is how heavily it borrows from kindergarten cop <laughs> i've seen the school in silent hill one right it's the same layout as kindergarten uh john thank you so much for coming on the show talking about silent hill with us oh genuinely a pleasure guys i i had such a good time on oh, yeah. this thank you i am such a big fan of your videos i i watch them all essentially the day they come out uh please if you have not go to super eyepatch wolf's youtube channel uh is there anything you want to plug while you're here Oh, thank you. That's that's really kind of you to say. Um, just for people listening, um, this weekend I'll be doing a charity stream where I'll be having Jacob on as a guest. Now, this podcast is going to come out four weeks after that stream, so I'm going to ask you to go back a month. Uh, I that's a I don't I can't tell you how to do that, but just please do it and come to my stream and donate money to cancer. Hell yeah! Do we lose Jacob? He's just frozen for me in this, like, kind of terrifying grin. He just lost power. (laughs) Um, Well, he lost power, so I guess I'll wrap this up for us folks at home. Uh, I've never done the outro to the show. For Jacob Geller, for our guest John. John, thank you so much. I'll say it again. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. This has been Something Rotten, and uh, I'm going to go put myself through hell and finish this game. Man, game. I, I so. have to say, uh, genuinely envious that you get to experience the end of that game for the first time. I am very apprehensive and also a little nervous. I I have a lot of anxiety just starting this game up, and I'm feeling it right now. But anyway, we can stop recording so I can play the game. Okay, thanks so much, guys. <laughs> for you.